So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Morning, Redeemer King, Andy Kind here. You join me in Lyme Regis. Welcome to the South Coast. Uh, Lyme Regis is apparently one of the Queen of England's favourite places. It's also one of my favourite places, so that's uh, that's good. I'm not giving some kind of hidden message that I'm actually Queen Elizabeth II in a in a weird disguise. Um, although, have you ever seen us in the same room together? So maybe there's something to it. I am wearing a hat, which I, I mean I, I know. I'm already imagining what some of you are saying about it, but what you've got to understand is that I don't have any hair, and look look at that shine, like a billiard ball. Um, my skin has been peeling, so I've, I've been forced to wear a hat, which makes me look a little bit like a creepy fisherman, but I'm not a creepy fisherman. I passed my DBS test, 65%, that's a solid 2-1, and you join me this morning as we are going through Nehemiah. Even though I'm on holiday, I'm still writing and recording a talk because, in fairness, that is my job. Thank you very much to Emma the Banff Banford for uh, reading the scriptures, and we'll start We'll start straight away. As you can see, it's a bit like a, a moral game of, of tennis as, as um, people are batted back and forth by their own desires. And so for you, the good news is that you are not the only one playing the hokey-cokey with God's love and God's pre uh, presence and God's commands. You are not the only person in history who has been in and out shaking it all about uh, and we all fall down. That's ring a ring of roses, but don't, don't worry about that. I'm on holiday. Um, the good news for you is that as far back as people have been engaging with God, people have failed to do what he says, um, to stay close to him, to listen to his voice, to decide that he knows better and that he's got their best interests at heart. That's the good news. The bad news is it never ends well. <laughs> it never ends well. Sorry, did I sound like Christopher Walken for a moment there? It never ends well. It's crazy. Anyway, we'll see later, I'll get to it later, that these people we've just heard about, these people who are refusing to stay in God's presence, who are not listening to his warnings, who are becoming arrogant, who are rebelling and being handed over to their enemies, these are not unbelievers. These are God's people. This is Israel. This is what would become the church. So um, it's such a fascinating passage. Let's, let's go through it. The first verse that, uh, that Emma read. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. Now, there's a phrase within uh, 
theological circles. A text without a context is just a pretext, which basically means you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, but it doesn't say whatever you want it to say. It says what it says, and it means what it means. So that's what context is all about. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. That makes God sound really horrible. If you just had that verse to go on, that would make God sound very horrible. But it doesn't say God delivered them so they could be oppressed. It's so God delivered them into the hands of enemies who then oppressed them. Um, And the reality is this. When you leave God's protection, which is what's going on here, when you leave and you refuse God's protection, when you leave the shadow of his wings, as Psalm 91 says, you will be oppressed by something. Because God is the strongest being in the universe, but there are other strong powers out there. You know, it's why people make friends with the bullies at at school, because they want to be with the strongest person. If you leave God's protection, you will be oppressed by something. There is one safe space in the universe for your soul to be. And that is in Christ, with God, but in Christ. I've mentioned this once before, but I do like it. Um, In Romans, Christ is talked of, Jesus is talked of as our propitiation. Propitiation. Um, And it's a technical word, but really, with a, a space rocket, a propitiation shield, is the thing that stops the rocket burning up on re-entry into the atmosphere. That's a propitiation shield. Without that, the rocket would burn up on re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. And for an astronaut to say, you know what, no, I'm going to, actually, I'm just going to go outside for a bit. What do you mean you're going to go outside? You mean into space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't need this propitiation shield. I'm going to be fine on my own. It's not some great sin for an astronaut to leave a rocket as it re-enters the atmosphere. It's just stupid. (laughs) In the same way, we don't have to be close to God. We don't have to stay close to God. But why wouldn't we want to be? Because it's the only safe space to be. It's the only propitiation. There is one safe space in the universe for your soul, for your spirit, and it is in Christ. And as we see through Nehemiah, the, the... The people of Israel keep pulling away and it never ends well because they are all of a sudden outside of the rocket. And it's not that when when we do that, it's not that um, we are huge sinners. We're just fools. And we are fools. I mean that in the light sense. Sin, because it comes down to, you know, what sin is. Sin isn't just a list of things that makes God angry. Sin is really... Sin is storming out of God's house in a mood. It's when we storm out of God's house. And we're just outside then. We, 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 don't, keep, we don't keep warm. We can't, be, we can't be with him. But it's when we storm out. Sin is when we choose not to be in God's presence. And you see that, you see that going on through these verses as they're going back and forth, crying out to God who rescues them, and then say, you know what, actually, we'll be okay on our own now. So sin is just separating ourselves from God by storming out of his presence, storming out of the house um, in a massive mard. So you deliver them into the hands of their enemies. The so follows a but. So in this, the so follows a but. 
And the but is to do with the fact that the people of Israel weren't listening to God, were refusing, refusing his commands and his precepts. And it actually goes all the way back to the start of Genesis. The so comes after a but, which comes after a so, which comes after a but, which comes after a so. You have this almost infinite regress back to the book of Genesis, where God starts it all by saying, it is good. This is good. You know what? Humanity, the universe, it's good. And obviously humanity, because Adam, the word Adam just means mankind. It's not just a name. It also means mankind. Humanity says, you know what? We're going to I think we've, we've learned enough now about what fruit is and uh, what snakes are to be able to uh, go our own way. Thank you very much. It doesn't end well. And in Genesis, they fall and so God throws them out of the garden. But then he looks to redeem them. But they don't listen. So God. But. So. And you go all the way back through the Old Testament and you've got God sending prophets and warnings and setting up kings and nations and still in Nehemiah remember Nehemiah is the chronologically the final verse the final book in the Old Testament so the final historical events of the Old Testament are happening in Nehemiah and still we've got the but and the so and the but and the so but the people so God and then what happens next what happens next historically well Jesus happens next. God sends Jesus. Hebrews 1, which is an amazing uh, letter, Hebrews 1 describes Jesus coming as God's final word. It says, God spoke to our ancestors. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir to all things. So with Jesus coming, it's like this vicious circle that we see in these verses in Nehemiah. It's like this vicious circle and all of a sudden, boom, there's the cross breaking the circuit. The cross is the ultimate circuit breaker of brokenness, both individually and corporately. This is why we call it the gospel. It's good news. It's still the case, though, isn't it, that if you leave God's protection, you will be oppressed by something. And we see that playing out. God delivers us, lets us go, basically, and we get oppressed. If you leave God's protection, you will be oppressed by something. Because there are powers out there arrayed against you. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil, as the Bible describes it. So that's three against one. It's three one. No one wants to lose three one. And someone might say, okay, well, even if it's you and God, it's still... Three, two, no, 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 you, you, couldn't be, you couldn't be more wrong. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's actually four, three in our favour. God wins on away goals. You stay close to God and you're no longer three, one down, you're four, three up. Just don't think that you're ever in neutral. Don't think that you're ever in intellectual neutral. Don't think that the world is neutral because... Possibly that's what's going on with the people of Israel. Well, we know God loves us. We know he's, he's for us and he's created this world. So we'll be okay, actually, because all of the world was made by God. The problem is that there's, there's powers at work in the world that are against you. And even if you're not someone following Jesus, you know that. You know love is not the only power in the universe. You know anxiety is real. You know addiction is not just in your mind. There is, there is a power that is linked to addiction. 
So you've got to stay close to God. You leave God's protection, you will be oppressed by something. You stop worshipping God, you don't stop worshipping. You've just stopped worshipping God. Everybody worships something, usually themselves. We're always faithful to the person that we love the most, and if that's not God, it's probably us. You don't stop worshipping just because you stop worshipping God. You stop listening to God's voice, you don't stop listening to voices. You just suddenly now believe that you're worth it because L'Oreal has told you so, or that you're a princess because Disney has told you so. You stop listening to God's voice, you don't stop listening to voices. You are not neutral, we're sponges. And we were made for relationship with God. But the thing is, when we unplug God, there's still these sockets that will get filled with other stuff. Same with affirmation. You stop seeking affirmation from God. You stop seeking your identity from him. You haven't stopped looking for an identity. Um, I want to find myself. I want to be true to myself. That suggests that there is a you to be found and that there is such a thing called truth. We, we see people, don't we, who are jumping from a relationship to relationship looking for that one person who will love them no matter what. Well, guess what? There is a storyline out there where that one person loves you no matter what, um, and it's the Lord. You may have noticed a small edit there, and that is because a wasp landed on the table next to me, and I was terrified. I would honestly rather be in a war than have a wasp land on me. I just, I mean, animals in general. God has not given me a spirit of fear, I say, every time I'm in a park and a goose looks at me. Anyway, let's get back to let's get back to this. So, we're empty we're empty vessels but we're not neutral. We will be filled by something. We're sockets that will be filled by some sort of plug. And it's the same with um morality. Everybody everybody is trying to show that they are not necessarily good but right. Everybody is trying to show themselves approved and trying to show that they're justified. You know, if morality is subjective, if morality is relative, as lots of people will want to tell you, then why are we always trying to justify our own decisions and our own actions? Why is there such a thing as cancel culture? If everything's up for grabs, what is there to cancel? Why do we shame and deplatform people if there is no real right and wrong? There was a Russian writer called Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I do not know if I've said that correctly, but it was my best effort. Uh, that was also my best ever uh, Russian act, and I, I apologise. I'm still slightly shaken from the wasp incident. Wasp gate, as I call it. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that the line between good and evil does not run through the universe, but through every single human heart. And whatever you believe about God, everybody, everybody, is always trying to show that they're on the right side of history, that they're on the right side of the moral line. When you accuse somebody of bad behaviour, what they will never, ever, ever say is there is no such thing as bad behaviour. What they will say is, what they will try and show you is that they're not guilty of it. Everybody, when you dig down far enough, doesn't matter what they say about what their philosophical beliefs are, everybody is trying to show that they are right, morally right. I know we might disagree on what is right. Everybody's trying to show that they are on the right side of that. Knowing the moral law, by which I mean the law of right and wrong, 
knowing the moral law is universal. Failing to keep that moral law is also universal. Verse 29 here, let's read verse 29. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. Again, these are not unbelievers. <laughs> these are the people of God. It doesn't say they stopped believing. It doesn't even say they stopped thinking that God was morally perfect. It just says they became arrogant. They thought they knew better. They disobeyed. They went their own way. They didn't want to listen. We hate the idea that we don't make the rules. Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him or give him thanks. So he handed them over. Again, that's what's going on in Nehemiah. God just hands us over. God doesn't God doesn't kidnap you, bundle you into the back of the van, and then drive you against your will into places of oppression. But if you want to be delivered from God's presence, if you don't want to follow him, he'll say, okay, I'll, I'll deliver you, I'll give you a lift. You tell me where you want to be dropped off, where you think this um, perfect utopia of life and morality is, and happiness, I'll drop you off, and I'll, we'll see how you get on. And do come running to me if you get stabbed. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> My mum used to say that when I, used to go out on a, when I started going out on sort of night time. She said, well, don't come running to me if you get stabbed. But how would I be able to? The good thing about the Lord is that he says, I'll drop you off. And I know it won't go well for you. So do come running to me. Again, do keep coming back. Do cry out for me. I'll come time after time. I'll come and I'll deliver you. I will come and I will rescue you. But don't go. <laughs> don't go. It's not going to go well. Don't go into those places that are dangerous for your soul and your spirit and your body. Now, someone might say, you know what, though? I believe that God is love and God's not about rules. Um, and I agree that Christianity is primarily about relationship, not about regulation. However, every relationship needs some kind of boundaries. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And those commands are largely built on love, loving him, loving people. God is love, but he's not permissiveness. Freedom doesn't mean doing whatever you want, because you're not the centre of the universe, you're not the only person in the universe. Freedom means coming into that identity that, that God has for you. And again, you can go off, but it never ends well. God never says, I love you, go and do what you want. <laughs> We're not injured birds that God has found in his garden, he's trying to tend back to health, and then eventually he'll say, oh, you're free now. Fly, fly, bird, live your life, live your life. Go and find a lady bird to start a family with. That's not who God is. We're not injured birds. The message of the passage, which is the message of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, is stay close to God and follow his word and his commands and his loving guidance because it will help you, because it is the best for you, because he has plans for you, plans to give you a hope and a future that are better than your plans for yourself. So let's just quickly look at what's going on. So 
in, in the verses that Emma read, it's just such a back and forth. 20, verse 26, they were disobedient. So in verse 27, God delivered them into the hands of their enemies, but they cried out. So God rescued them. Then verse 28, as soon as, as, um, as, soon as they were at rest, they rebelled again. So God abandoned them. So they cried out again and God delivered them. And it says God delivered them time after time. And at this point, God says, I'm warning you, don't keep doing this. What are you guys thinking? Stop it. But they turned their backs. They refused to listen. But God was patient with them. I mean, this is, this is a horrible, vicious circle, but God is patient with them. And yet it says they paid no attention. So again, he gave them into the hands of their enemies, but he did not abandon them. And what that means is he didn't give up hope on them. He didn't stop being prepared to come and love them. And you see, if you look at these verses, if you, if you read if you read what's going on here, you'll notice that there is never a point at which God is caught out. God is never caught out by this incessant refusal to sit still, this kind of moral and spiritual schizophrenia that they're, that they're guilty of. He's never caught out, he never panics, and actually he, he never stops being willing to redeem and, and to restore. He's always there. He doesn't kidnap them and deliver them to their enemies, but he'll give them a lift. He will let he will let the consequences of their choices play out. God doesn't punish us, but he allows us to, you know, experience our, the consequences of our choices. So for us then, for you and for us, there is no limit to the number of times that you can obtain mercy from God. There is no limit to the number of times you can keep coming back to God. But we must turn towards him. We must seek that mercy. Otherwise, again, as it says in Romans 1, otherwise we will exchange the truth about God for a lie. And God will allow us to do that. And he will give us over to what it says in Romans 1 as our shameful lusts, our shameful desires, our desire for power, for control. Uh, sorry, a second edit, because an old woman who is staying at the hotel thought I was talking to her despite the fact that I couldn't see her, wasn't looking at her, and didn't even know she was there. No, I'm not talking to you. I am, however, still talking to you, even though we are nearly finished. Um, so the point is that there is, no, there is no limit, numerical limit, to the number of times you can keep coming back to God. And there's a guy called Jansen Gunn who said this, If you have sinned, run to the Lord, not from him. If you have sinned, run to the Lord not from him. You gain nothing by bathing in three days of self-loathing until you think you've paid enough for your sorries to be heard. If you've sinned, run to the Lord, not from him. You gain nothing by bathing in three days of self-loathing until you think you've paid enough for your sorries to be heard. And you know what? Something about, um, something about repentance, something about confessing sin you know, confessing that, storming out of the house in a mood. Instead of saying, God, will you please forgive me, as though he might not this time, one thing that I found quite helpful is saying, God, I just acknowledge that the way I've been acting, that's not who I am. That's not who I am, and so I just, I just turn back to who I am. You know, one of the reasons I've come to Lyme Regis is because I've wanted to, just get some time to listen to God's voice 
because I've really struggled for, the, for a while now, I've really struggled to listen to God's voice. I don't mean through scripture, I read my Bible every day and so I hear God's voice, his, his general voice through scripture. But in terms of that intimacy with, with God, listening to him and chatting to him, I've really struggled with that. And the reason I've struggled, I think, is because I haven't wanted to hear more bad news. And this is not about God, this is about something in me. And I'm just being honest because actually it's something that has become a, a stronghold for me. Since my uh, marriage fell apart, I've struggled to listen to God in case he says something like, well, you know what, if you'd listened to me three years ago, then you wouldn't be in this situation now. If only you'd acted as I wanted you to act, then she wouldn't have left and she would have come back. I'm being very honest because actually that's, I've realised just from being here this week that that's what's been going on. I've been so worried about hearing not not condemnation but truth that would cripple me uh, and even if that had been the case you know Jesus said to the paralyzed man son your sins are forgiven get up and walk so I realized that the problem is, is, has been me and, and and this week it's been amazing just to sit I sat on the seafront and I just listened for God's voice and I heard it and it it wasn't condemning and it, it wasn't harsh it was amazing and it was beautiful and it's it's helped me kind of it's given me my spiritual mojo back a little bit because god is the god who says do come running to me when it all goes wrong do come running to me see the heart of the gospel at the heart of the gospel is grace where you expect condemnation undeserved favor where only judgment seems possible in hosea hosea 2 Hosea is basically a book about how God's talking about how Israel has basically been acting not like his bride but like a prostitute, like a complete harlot and all these things that she's done to go off with other gods and then in Hosea 2.14 God says therefore and you think oh flipping it, crikey what's going to happen here? He says I am now going to allure her I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her there I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. This is where God's so supersedes our but. But I want to go my own way. But I'm an idiot. God says so come to me. So let's go again. Let's go again. Come to me and let's go again. And the valley of trouble that you perceive around you will become a door of hope. At the end of the valley of trouble is a door of hope. This is what happens when you stay close to Jesus, when you stay close to God, when you let his voice be the voice that guides you, when you let his laws be the laws that rule you, when you let his purposes be the ones for you. You know, he's not the running coach who gives you a bottle of water partway through the marathon so you can finish the race. He's not the creepy guy with a lantern that you find out on the moors who says, there's the homestead, there you will find a homely fire. He is the water. He's living water. He is the fire because he's the light of the world. He is the bread of life. Stay close to him. Stay close to him. He'll never turn you away. Because as verse 31 says, God is merciful and he's love. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, 
it means for you that you're not finished. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, the good news is that you're not finished. No matter how many times you've gone off in a marred, no matter how many times you've gone your own way and failed, no matter how many times you've been stabbed <laughs> spiritually, do come running to him. There's no limit to the amount of times he can show you grace. And he'll make the valley of trouble into a door of hope. And this is why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. I'm going to go and get an ice cream, and that's good news as well. <laughs>